It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Let's go back to Brexit once again. (laughs) I live for a day when we don't have to say that. And let's welcome uh, my first guest in this hour. And that's the Confederation of British Industry uh, President, uh, Lord uh, Karen uh, Billy Moria, who is uh, joining me right now. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Now, um, obviously, we've been going down to the wire oh, for months and months and months on end now when it comes to a post-Brexit EU-UK trade deal. Uh, last night, Boris Johnson went to Brussels to have that dinner with Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, Lord Frost, our chief negotiator, were also attending meetings there, still trying to do a deal. There wasn't any expectation we'd actually have a deal out of that dinner, but there was some hope there'd be some agreement that both sides would move a little bit or something. It doesn't sound like anything useful came of it and yet we've got a new deadline on Sunday night. Are you remotely hopeful that on Sunday night we will get good news about a deal? Yes, I think the most important thing is that they are talking and there were telephone conversations and now we've had this face-to-face meeting over dinner and I think that the more that they talk, the leaders talk and try and resolve this and put pragmatism first and compromise in, in a way that Uh, enables both sides to move forward. Because what I know uh, as president of the CBI, I sit on the Council of Business Europe, um, which uh, we continue to belong belong to. And and it's, by the way, wider than the EU. So countries like Turkey are members as well. And we had a meeting recently, and it was unanimous across all businesses in Europe throughout the EU and countries like Turkey and us saying to both sides, please, all businesses uh, want a deal, please, could we have a deal? Yeah, indeed. I know you campaigned for Remain, but you're saying, look, once Brexit's happened, let's let's get a deal. I'm, I'm intensely relaxed whether there is a deal or no deal uh, in terms of it's got to be a good deal, otherwise it's not worth having. But do you think that the, the room for manoeuvre is really that, you know, we need both sides to compromise? Do you think one side is more to blame than the other? What are you hearing? Because uh, I know you've got, a, you have your ear very close to the ground on these things. What, what do you think has to happen for there to be a deal on Sunday night? Yes, whether one voted remain or leave, we have left. We left on the 31st of January. We've now got to make the most of the situation looking ahead. And and whichever way you look at it, uh, Europe makes up uh, 45% of our trade, 43% of our exports and 52% of our imports at our doorstep. And if you look at economics with the gravity model of trade, you trail with your biggest countries, 
and economies close to you. Um, and Ireland and the UK is a great example, and the UK and the EU is another example. I mean, yes, America's huge potential makes up 15% of our trade, um, but the whole of the Commonwealth together, including India, Australia, New Zealand, over 50 countries makes up less than 10% of our trade. So lots of potential looking ahead to increase our business around the world. But as things stand, um, almost 45% is with the EU. And it, if we could have tariff-free, duty-free um, arrangements with the EU, that's a benefit yeah. uh, to our consumers and to our economy. And we've got to try and get there. There was this expectation from many on, on the Brexiteer side that um, although the European Commission wanted to sort of punish the, punish the UK for leaving, and that the likes of French President Emmanuel Macron and others wanted to sort of make an example of us and pour encourager les autres to not to, not to go follow suit and leave the EU and think they could still be trading on equal terms. But that the, the interests of business would eventually uh, win out and you know, this is about jobs, this is about industry, this is about taxes being paid, especially with the economic plight that the whole of Europe is in right now as a result of the COVID pandemic. And in fact, a lot of countries are doing pretty badly uh, even before then, um, that actually it would be the German car manufacturers, it would be the, the French agriculture representatives, it would be the white goods representatives of, in Italy as well, that they would be pressuring their governments and pressuring the European Commission to do a deal and, 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 and keep things sane. Um, there is a view that, well, you know, have those voices not been heard? Or is this, is politics being put ahead of economic interests by, by well, either side? Or, or is this an element where everyone is just waiting for the other side to blink? Well, if you, if you look back through the four and a half years, we would always say that the, the Europeans, uh, through Michel Barnier, had a very clear mandate uh, from 27 countries. But the reality is, when you come to it now, there are 27 countries, um, all with different interests. So the fishing situation, for example, affects only a few of those 27 countries. Uh, it doesn't affect the vast majority of them. And, and fishing in the context of any of the economies in the UK, it's 0.1% uh, of our economy. The automobile sector is 40 times bigger, four zero times bigger. And they stand to really suffer the automobile sector. They're reliant on just-in-time production, sometimes with one hour just-in-time let alone the fact that duties of 10% on automobiles of the average cost of a car goes up by £2,800. So it affects different countries in different ways. And I mean, Germany is our second largest trading partner as a country to the UK, 9% of our trade. It's very important for Germany and very important for the UK. So it is It is really it's both sides. This is not sort of yeah. we're going to suffer more, they're going to suffer more. We would all suffer if there's a no deal. I mean, the key thing here is, say, with Germany and their cars, if their cars become subject to tariffs and if their cars then become more expensive and people in Britain say, well, we, we won't buy uh, VWs and Mercedes and BMWs, we'll, we'll simply go and buy Japanese cars or, or, or other cars, um, then, I mean, that, that will be them losing out unless those prices go down. We need to remember the thing about tariffs is that it's something that governments can choose to put on on either side, but fundamentally it's a tax on your own consumers. Well, it's to nobody's benefit. And the other aspect we've got to look at is inward investment. I mean, the United Kingdom, at any one time, we're the second or third largest recipient of inward investment in the world. We're a magnet for inward investment. We, we in many ways, have been the gateway to Europe. Uh, and we've got to retain that and maintain that going forward. And I think if we have a deal, mm -hmm. we will have a platform to build on. We will retain that stability. We'll retain the relationship on which we can build because there are many other things we need to build on after the basic deal because it yeah. might be a very basic, whether you call it a skinny deal, a thin deal, if, as long as we have a deal. And the good example there is the Canadian a deal. I, I remember talking to the Canadian High Commissioner 
um, just recently, and there was a worry we wouldn't be able to roll over the CETA deal with Europe that took eight years to roll it over uh, and have a UK-Canada deal before 31st December. Well, we've done that. But the most important thing is with that deal now, with the Canada-Europe deal rolled over next year, we want to build on that deal to make it a bespoke, super-duper UK-Canada deal, which we can do. You know, I'd love a bespoke, super-duper UK-EU deal. We never know. We'll see what happens. Um, just finally, just give me a percentage. Percentage chance you think right now, I say ear to the ground, you're well, well uh, connected on these matters. What do you think the chances are of getting an EU deal now? Uh, I mean, everyone says 50-50. Michael Gove said a few weeks ago 66%. Um, it, it is very much, as everyone says, on a knife edge. Okay. And um, I, I'm, I'm being optimistic and I say to everyone's interest, please let us get a deal. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Well, let's turn our attention back to uh, the uh, pandemic side of things and indeed uh, the rollout of that Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine uh, and indeed uh, what's been going on in our hospitals with uh, Chris Hobson. He's chief executive of NHS Providers and joins us now. Good morning to you, Chris. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Um, well, the big news this week, of course, and I think for a lot of us, very emotional morning on Tuesday when we saw the first people getting that vaccine. Um, yesterday morning, we discovered that... Um, Two of the healthcare workers, two nurses, had had an allergic reaction to the vaccine. Um, but again, this is something that obviously 
grabbed with two hands by the people who are saying, oh, vaccines aren't safe, we shouldn't take this vaccine. But of course, this was always to be expected. Some people will have allergic reactions. They do to every single vaccine and every single drug. Not severe, being treated. Um, and this is not a reason for people to avoid the vaccine. Julie, you've just stolen exactly what no. I was going to say <laughs> to you. You said, it, you said it better than I could have done. So thank you for that. Hey, let, let's just start by saying, look, it's a fantastic um, uh, week for the NHS. Um, I was really struck. We had a phone call with about 25 chief execs last night and they were all just saying about um, uh, how incredibly pleased they were, how delighted the staff were to have kind of got this going. Julia, the one thing I would point to, I think, is just the amount of work that's been going on over the last two or three weeks to be ready for all of this in those 50 hospital hubs, all of those kind of complex arrangements to store uh, the vaccines at minus 75 degrees centigrade, IT staff redoing um, IT systems to ensure patients get registered and automatically get their their three-week follow-up appointment booked, um, call bookers ringing up over 80s saying please come in, estate staff creating separate centres so that you don't, um, over 80s don't have to go anywhere near the main hospital. You know, a whole bunch of um, uh, work being done by right the way across the trust, 50 hospital hubs. So yes, an amazing week, light at the end of the tunnel and the tunnel has been long yeah. and dark for a very long time. It absolutely has. I have One thing that I, I just wrote down and circled as you were talking then about people making telephone calls to over 80s. One of the, my biggest points of contention with the NHS is not only your biggest biggest user of fax machines in the in the world, uh, but also the insistence on using snail mail. I mean, writing letters instead of making phone calls. I mean, okay, a lot of over 80s may not be online, but you know, phone numbers are nearly nearly always registered with GPs. Get in touch with people quickly, sort it quickly, put a date in the diary, and get it done. I mean, it, tell me that, that that is the case. It's phone calls rather than letters wherever possible. Yes, yeah, so good. It, 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 it will be a mixture but obviously though know, last thursday we were told get going as fast as you can so the obvious thing that we did is we spoke to local gps we effectively said give us the list of um, overrated that you think would find it easy to come to hospital yeah. and then of course you couldn't send letters yeah. so we have been um using call bookers but you know um we are making a significant investment and have done over the last um few years to improve our it systems i don't think any of us in the nhs would pretend that we are <laughs> no. at the leading edge of this so yes, good I, challenge yes we're going as fast as we can. Okay, well that that's that's encouraging. But look, while we've been busy, you know, applauding the NHS the rollout of this this vaccine, and I think very moving for everybody uh, this week. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, clapping for carers and NHS workers in the early stage of this pandemic. Um, story on the front page of the Telegraph. Something that actually I, I've been I've been raising uh, on air for quite some months because yeah. the evidence has been out there for quite some months. Ten thousand patients catch COVID nineteen while in hospital. Now, Carl Hennigan, professor of evidence based medicine at Oxford University, has pointed out that his research months ago that it uh, that uh, patients were actually testing negative for COVID. Everyone who goes into hospital getting tested, uh, testing negative for COVID for the first seven days and then testing positive, suggesting that they are catching the virus in hospital. Daily Telegraph have now got um, evidence that more than 10,000 people caught coronavirus while they were being treated in hospital for other illnesses. That's more than 16% of people in hospital acquiring the virus there. At one NHS trust, nearly four in every 10 COVID cases being treated at the hospital were acquired in the hospital by the patient. This is an absolute scandal, is it not? And while we're, you know, clapping uh, for for the the hospitals uh, for getting their, their act together, putting out the vaccine, 
this is, I mean, this is such a scandal. This this will probably have led to people dying. What is happening in the hospitals that patients are able to catch the virus? And what's happening in the hospitals where it's at such a scale that we're looking at almost four in 10 patients with COVID getting the virus in hospital? What, what's going wrong? Well, so so um, a number of things to kind of say. So any any single case of a nosocomial infection, in other words, somebody catching COVID whilst in a health and care setting is is one case too many. And, and we've known for a very long time that this is a significant risk. Again, I can't tell you how hard um, trusts have been working to ensure they minimise that risk. But the reality is that we know how this virus spreads. It spreads effectively when you get increased social contact. Like it or not, when you are in a hospital, there is clearly um, a risk of that happening. But everybody has been working incredibly hard to, for example, divide the hospital into red zones that have got COVID patients, amber zones where you've got patients who are waiting for tests, and green zones where you've had people test and you know they haven't got COVID. And yes, we, we know this has been a problem. We've been working really hard at it. Could I just, just add, without wishing to minimise, and I absolutely mm. wouldn't want to minimise, can I just add one thing, which is if you add all the number of people, every single case that you've where there has been a nosocomial infection from the beginning of August to the end of November, you will get a large figure. And that figure is what the Telegraph is effectively focusing on. And I kind of recognise that. And as I said, every single case, one case uh, by itself is one case too many. But the the impression I really wouldn't want anybody to to get is that we weren't aware of this. We absolutely were. And we've been working incredibly hard at it. But but again, we're talking about August when it was very, very, very low, very very low numbers. Um, um, so, so really, not at the height of the pandemic, not when we were worrying about getting PPE and the like, and people didn't know about, you know, some asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic uh, tra- uh, transmission of the virus. So, I mean, the fact that one hospital can have 40% and one hospital obviously much lower, um, you know, probably in, in region of like 5% to get those sort of averages, um, suggests that, that, that something has gone horribly wrong in some um, of these well, well, cases. Julia, Julia, it, it, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to kind of basically make the assumption that those who are kind of, you know, at 30, you know, and 30, 30, 30, 40%, there's something going wrong. And the answer is when you go and talk to those trusts, as we have done, what they tell you is that if you've got a very old estate, uh, an old old hospital building, If if, if effectively it's difficult to divide into those red, amber and green zones, then actually it's a much more difficult task. And again, if you look at those trusts, they have actually been through a process of verification by Public Health England, by NHS England and Improvement, who are effectively have checked what's going on. And they basically said that the hospital is doing all they can. But this is why, Julia, we've been banging on for years about the need to effectively ensure we've got modern, up to date facilities. So a lot of this, a lot of this would simply come down to the grounds. We've got six billion pound backlog in terms of maintenance on equipment, buildings and um, uh, and machinery yep. that is regarded as being high or medium risk to patients. That's why we've been saying you've got to sort this out. OK, all very, very good points. Just finally, I want to ask you uh, about a possibility of London being discussed next week at the December the 16th review of tiers uh, moving into tier three. Of course, I mean, massive economic hit there and massive infringement of people's liberties as well. 
And we're told that is because, uh, obviously, rising infections. Although, from what I can understand, nor it's the infections in the north that have gone down uh, as London levels haven't really gone up. Uh, we've got no areas with a um, uh, high level of over 60s being infected uh, or no and no areas at all in the country where there, there is a higher percentage than 16% of, uh, of intensive care beds being occupied by COVID patients. Is the NHS about to be overwhelmed? So, Julia, I, I, I wouldn't want to incur your personal wrath because I know what <laughs> your particular views on this subject are. But let me just tell you, on that phone call that we had last night with those 25 chief executives, the general view was, in fact, it's not general, the united view was that whilst we've made progress, the progress has been slower and towards the bottom end of hopes and expectations. We've still got too many patient COVID patients in our beds. We've also got rising infection rates in other parts of the country. You're right, it's coming down in the north, but it's now rising in um, Essex, Kent, London. And the general conclusion was, and this is genuinely literally from last night, 25 chief execs, was that they are expecting a more difficult period earlier than they were expecting a week, two weeks ago. So there is an issue here that we are going to need to think about really carefully in the run up to December the 16th. And we're also going to need to think very carefully uh, about what we say to people as we get to that Christmas period, because the evidence in the States is really clear, which is over the Thanksgiving holiday, when people wanted to get together, what it's done is it's triggered um, higher rates of spread. But but again, again, the United States is a different factor because, of course, in different states, they are at a different stage of the pandemic from us than in than Europe. Europe is way ahead uh, of, uh, of of the United States. Yeah, but on Julia, that front. Julia, the thing the thing that you mustn't ignore, and this is if you don't mind me saying this, this is what gets me frustrated: is until we've got those vaccines in place, there is an inexorable logic here, which is the greater the level of social contact, the greater level of the, yep. the spread. It's incredibly simple. And so all I'm saying is, the more that you relax the rules, the more that people don't observe observe them, the more COVID we're going to get, and therefore the more pressure we're going to get on the NHS. And as you well know, the last five winters have shown that late December, January and February, the NHS really struggles. We've got 9% fewer beds this year than we had last year, and we currently have 10,000 of those 90,000 beds occupied by COVID patients. That's what's worrying our chief executives. That's what the topic of conversation was on last night's phone. DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. But let's uh, be joined now by market commentator at Aquis Exchange, David Buick, talk about uh, the uh, breaking news in the last few moments. Uh, latest GDP figures from the Office for National Statistics that showed that the UK economy grew by 0.4% month on month in October. Bearing in mind that was the month we brought in those t- we government nothing to do with me, the the, the tiered restrictions. It is the weakest growth we've seen since April, although David Buick, I believe, slightly better than some economists economists had forecast. Morning, Empress. Marginal. Very, very marginal indeed. 0.4%. It's a far cry from 15.1% in the third quarter, but this is only the month of October. But one suspects that when we get to December, it'll be even worse with the reintroduction of the lockdown. I mean, just breaking down the figures a little bit, I mean, what was very disappointing was the service sector, only plus 0.2. But of course, with hospitality, travel, um, pubs, restaurants, all trashed, it's not really surprising. The estimate was there was plus 0.3%. What was cheering was manufacturing output 
and industrial production. Industrial production was up 1.3% against an estimate of 0.3%, and manufacturing output up 1.7%. But if you look at the thing overall, Julia, we GDP from where we were in February, we're down 7.9%. Service sector is down 8.6%. Manufacturing 6.6%. And industrial output by 6%. So it's a pretty grim picture. It is. When we when we hear those figures, for a lot of people listening, um, that's sort of, you know, down 7.9, down 6. We, what's, what's the difference? What does that actually mean for real people, real jobs, real companies? Is, is that the difference between people sort of staying afloat and people not staying afloat? What's, what's the situation? Well, it's, it's really a question of a combination of many things. Growth. And why, without people spending money, and as we understand it from the Bank of England, Andy Haldane came up with a huge figure the other day saying that he thought that the public had squirreled away 100 billion since the beginning of March, which is not going into the shops for copious reasons, whether it's COVID or whether it's the fact that uh, we're all online now or people are fearful about their jobs in the future. But this is the reflection is basically, the economy is based on the fact, in very simplistic terms, of people having money in their pocket yeah. and having an absolute obsession to want to spend it. But, haven't, we, but haven't we heard that actually, I mean, Andy Haldane from the Bank of England, the chief economist there, was saying the only the other day that people have got, you know, something like a hundred billion pounds extra sort yeah. of sitting in their bank accounts. Lots of people, again, and this is what we were talking about a lot way through lockdown, really, really hard for a lot of people losing their businesses on furlough, losing their jobs. Actually, for a lot of people, if you've still got a job working from home, you're saving a fortune and you're, and you're not spending anything. Uh, and those people are doing just fine. Thank you. Well, they are, but they they represent, frankly, a pretty much of a minority. And if you if you work it out, it's basically the people who squirrel that money away. It's the middle classes and the people who are very rich. And the rich have got exceptionally rich during this period because we've seen an explosion in the stock market valuations, the like of which, in my living memory, I don't think I've ever seen before. Yeah. But the fact remains is that, you know, the economy is incredibly brittle. And the CBI came out with a statement literally about 20 minutes ago they do not see the UK economy recovering until the end of 2022. Now, that is pretty grim news. Mind you, they would attach the credence and importance to the fact that all is not well in Brussels between Ursula von der Leyen and Boris Johnson as regards the Brexit uh, negotiations. Well, that's it. How, how big an issue is that? Because the Office for Budget Responsibility, ahead of the last statement from the Chancellor of Issues and Acts, uh, basically said, hidden away in the documents that were uh, published, was that actually Brexit was going to cost the British economy far more in the long term uh, than COVID. I think a lot of us find that rather hard to believe. We've seen some very uh, questionable briefings. And of course, they always use Treasury uh, uh, figures for these, uh, for these uh, calculations. Um, but obviously, if there is no deal and we haven't had proper preparation, preparation uh, for it and it doesn't look like we have had proper preparation for it another uh, filling of the government I mean I've got I'm intensely relaxed about there being a no deal but but you need to prepare for these things if that is the case is that genuinely going to cost the British economy the many many billions uh, that the Office of Budget Responsibility predict? I think it's going to be initially then people um, when they look at the figures in the course of the next six months are going to be pretty dispirited and I think those people who are obsessed about not wanting the democratic process to go through and trying to give us some impetus and help towards this, look for every negative thought that they possibly can. I mean, we've got a massive problem, Julia, at the moment with the ports. That's got nothing to do with Brexit. We've got a huge problem, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's Singapore. Goods are just not being moved because of COVID. Yeah. And we've got, because the recovery process is there, we've got this unbelievable log of 
people not being able to get their goods through. It will clear. And I think it's a question of mind over matter. I do tend to agree with you that the preparation for a no-deal situation has been grossly underutilised, and I don't think the country's remotely prepared. But again... Go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, do we do we think the other side is prepared? I mean, there does seem to be quite a lot of preparation going on uh, in in certainly in Amsterdam and, and Antwerp and places like that. Um, the question is, is is you know it, it needs to be done on both sides for it all to function. Oh, a, a lorry a lorry going from one port to the other needs to return at some point. We need it to be functioning on both sides. Yeah, but I mean, we've seen now, for instance, Felix does absolutely ram jam because people went there for the simple reason that they couldn't get into. Dover and other areas and now of course we're going to be using other areas to get stuff around to yeah. Ireland and the rest of it through this everybody says you know woe is me for I am done I'm done it's the UK is going to be trashed trust me the European Union are not going to enjoy the next six months to a year by any stretch of the imagination can you imagine it to them they say that we're small beer but you know Spain no tomatoes no um Lemons, no oranges, no fruit, cars, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, see you later, pal. We're going to make them up in uh, Swindon or we're going to make them up in the northeastern Sunderland. You know, this is not going to be a, you know, vicarage tea party. This is going to be nasty. And I think people need their heads banging together. And I think they're incredibly stupid if they can't see it. This is the interesting thing is that we we did hear that wonderful line, didn't we, years ago from so many years ago, Liam Fox saying, you know, this should be the easiest uh, trade deal in history. And lots of people say, oh, it will be. No, he said it should be. But that's it. It should be. We already have regulatory alignment. We're close geographical neighbours. We already have these massive big supply chains. If there was the political will, this would have been done uh, ages ago. It certainly wouldn't involve more three hour dinners. Is it your best guess that uh, everyone will see sense before Sunday night or do you think there will be an urge from some, the European Commission, uh, Emmanuel Macron of France and others, that actually the urge to punish Britain is going to override the actual economic uh, benefits of the their, the people in their own countries? I think to agree something by Sunday is, you know, we're whistling. It's just not going to happen. Um, but I don't believe that, say, right, 31st of December, that's it. There is so much hanging on this, Julia, that they've got, to, they've got to fight a little bit harder. And if there is a modest extension, I don't care what the government has said, but I think when the government looks at it and they look at the economy and how very important it is that everybody, the whole world pulls together. I mean, well done, this trust with Singapore. It's a big deal, that. Yeah. It's a major entrepreneur in Singapore that we will now have a fantastic trading agreement with them. But it's beans. Yeah. And we need to make certain that the whole of the world is coordinated and you know, whereas I'm a Brexiteer and I'm proud of it, uh, the fact remains is I think this whole thing's been a complete shambles. And I, I want a deal because I think COVID changed everything. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.